Good morning. The order of this will be a little bit different. Uh, I'm going to read a first page before we actually read the scripture, so uh, feel free to sit down for a bit, and then you can stand after a little bit. I just want to read a short introduction before we read the scripture. It is commonplace in our culture to make a New Year's resolution. I don't know why we continue this. We can't seem to keep them unless we water them down to the point of pointless. They are either pointless as the contents of a Chinese fortune cookie that says, you will meet someone interesting today, or as frustrating and fruitless as trying to pole vault using a balsa wood pole. We may chuckle about the foolishness of fortune cookies and have a self-depreciating laugh about our overzealous but underfunded New Year's resolutions. But how are we going to treat the commands and exhortations of the Word of God to walk worthy of the calling with which we are called? Are we to treat them like New Year's resolutions? Will we whip ourselves up into a fleshly frenzy of pole vault attempts? Or will we sagely acquiesce to non-committal inaction, congratulating ourselves on having avoided the frustration and bruised ego from balsa wood pole vaulting by skipping forward to the end game of failure? Or is there an alternative that honors Christ as exalted Savior and Lord and head of his church and results in glory to God according to his eternal purpose? This message is not about making resolutions or making excuses. It is about glorifying God by living and walking in his way, the only way worthy of our calling. His way is not a better alternative to our ways. His way is the only way that leads to life and glorifies God. Indeed, he, Christ, is the way. It is man's ways that are misguided and disillusioned alternatives of disobedience. In his word, God has revealed to us the basis of our life in Christ and how we are to live all for his glory within his eternal purpose. His word, the Bible, is true because it proceeds from him who is true. It is living and powerful, penetrating and revealing because it is the living word of him who is life. One of the major reasons we gather weekly as the whole church is to eat and drink in his word together. To sit together at his feet, as it were, and to learn of him and his ways. To be transformed by the renewing of our minds together so that we might have the same mind, the mind of Christ. And that that we might together please and glorify him in all we do and say. Let's look to him in prayer now, together, asking his blessing on the reading and teaching of his word. Heavenly Father, we come to you humbly. As one in need, 
poor in spirit? Desiring to learn of you, learn more of your ways, of your mind, and to receive your words of encouragement, exhortation, instruction, that we might walk in them, be doers of the word. We pray today for the grace for that to happen, that we may have ears to hear. I pray that you would guide my thoughts and words as I try to speak your words. I pray that you would bless the reading of your word. In your name we pray, amen. Please turn to the book of Ephesians, chapter 3. We'll be reading uh, parts of chapters 3, 4, and 5. Chapter 3, beginning in verse 19. Oh, I'm sorry, chapter 2. So that's just, that's two. okay, so 2 and then skip to there. All right. Chapter 2, verse 19. Now, therefore, you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom the whole building being fitted together grows into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are being built together for a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. Chapter 4. I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called, with all lowliness and gentleness, with long-suffering, bearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. But to each one of us grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, he says, when he ascended on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts to men. Now this, he ascended, what does it mean but that he also first descended into the lower parts of the earth? He who descended is also the one who ascended far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things. And he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers, for the equipping of the saints, for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men in the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting, but speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and knit together by what every joint supplies, according to the effective working by which every part does its share, causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord, that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk, 
in the futility of their mind, having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the blindness of their heart, who, being past feeling, have given themselves over to lewdness, to work all uncleanness with greediness. But you have not so learned Christ, if indeed you have heard him and have been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus, that you put off concerning your former conduct the old man, which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lusts, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and that you put on the new man, which was created according to God, in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, putting away lying, let each one of you speak truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath, nor give place to the devil. Let him who stole steal no longer, but rather let him labor, working with his hands what is good, that he may have something to give him who has need. Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification, that it may impart grace to the hearers. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. And be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. Therefore, be imitators of God as dear children, and walk in love as Christ also has loved us and given himself for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling aroma. Skip down to verse 15. See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time, because the days are evil. Therefore do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is, and do not be drunk with wine in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ submitting to one another in the fear of God. You may be seated. <clears throat> Our text this morning is Ephesians chapter 4, verses 15 and 16. These verses come at the end of one long sentence, verses 11 through 16 one of the most packed and comprehensive statements of Scripture on the source, placement, and purpose of the diverse gifts and callings within the body of Christ, which are given for bringing about the growth of the church to maturity. Drawing from the whole sentence and the surrounding context, I'd like to try to express the main thought of our text this way. Christ, the head, gives his gifts of grace to each part of his body, and joins and knits us together in one body, so that we may grow up together in Him, mutually strengthened and matured as we speak the truth in love to one another, for the building up of one another in one body. Let me read that again. Christ, the head, gives His gifts of grace to each part of His body, and joins and knits us together in one body, so that we may grow up together in Him mutually strengthened and matured as we speak the truth in love to one another for the building up of one another in the body. Some of the 
words there, phrases, the way I put that together, uh, might have surprised you. I don't know. But I hope that you will see how that those thoughts are here and they are uh, very, very important to this text. The Lord began to stir this message in me several weeks ago. In the last couple of weeks, the Spirit has impressed upon me the importance of being careful to set forth this particular passage within the foundational context of the whole letter so that its true meaning of the passage will, will be clear. Paul's letter to the Ephesians is loaded with rich and deep spiritual truths concerning our life in Christ. Truths that are both wonderful to behold and vital to understand so that we may walk in them. A walk worthy of our calling. It would take probably a year of Sundays or more to cover it thoroughly. And perhaps the Lord will lead us to preach on the whole letter to Ephesians in the future. I think that might be a good idea at some point. But for the purpose of this message, it will be necessary to cover the major context only in short summary. So that specific points of context that are critical to understanding our text for today, verses 15 and 16, can be covered in sufficient detail to bring clarity. For those of you that may be longing to surge into the ways of those deep spiritual truths in the first three chapters, especially chapter 1, it's well known. I must ask you to hold on to your surfboard. That will have to be another time. But consider this. Unless we are walking in the practical and instructional truths that are based on those lofty spiritual truths in the first three chapters, then we are not walking worthy of the calling with which we are called no matter how much we may know and be able to converse about those lofty truths. Our text this morning, verses 15 and 16, is one of those practical and instructional truths. I ask you that if you find something in this text, or the exposition of it, that you are not sure about, let me encourage you to be a Berean. In Acts 17, as Paul reasoned with the Jews in Thessalonica from the Scriptures, those who would not believe gathered a mob and started a riot. Paul and Silas escaped and went to Berea and began to reason with the Jews there. In contrast to the Thessalonians, the Bereans were said to be more noble or fair-minded. Not because they were smarter or more skilled in the Scriptures, but the Scripture says because they received the word with eagerness, examining the Scriptures to verify that the message was true. And when they found that the message was true, they obeyed and believed. Do that. Check it out and then be a doer of the word. Many years ago, so many I don't want to admit it, <laughs> I read a little book by the name of Sit, Walk, Stand. It was a compilation of the spoken ministry of Watchman Nee. Very tiny. First published in 1957. That little book still stands out to me. It was very helpful in establishing me in the faith very early in my life as a Christian. 
because of the simple emphasis on grasping by faith based solely on the Word of God. This passage, Ephesians, that's what it was about. That the believer has been raised with Christ and seated with Him in heavenly places and that walking out the commands of the Word is always and only to be done in the power of the Spirit based on our position in Christ. Maybe we are certain that God has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, Ephesians 1.3. But are we just as certain that He has given us the power to walk in the Spirit, to walk worthy of our calling by the power of the Spirit? In the words of Ephesians chapter 1, 19 and 20, and chapter 2, 5 and 6, God has made us alive, raised us up, and seated us with Christ in heavenly places by the same power by which He raised Christ from the dead. This truth is confirmed in Romans 6, which we studied some time ago. And Romans 8 makes it clear that this is a truth that is to be walked in. We are to walk in the Spirit, not in the flesh. This truth is also confirmed in Paul's letter to the Galatians. If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. Galatians 5.25 We will have problems if we get this turned around. If we try to walk worthy of our calling in order to get spiritual, we will only be walking in the flesh. That is not God's way. Because we are not believing and trusting that God has already provided all spiritual blessing and power for living for Christ. We must believe and rely on the truth that God has given us His Spirit not only as a seal of our inheritance, but also to supply all that we need for life and godliness. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. And how does that verse say that we get that supply? You recall? It's by His divine power. That's the source. Romans 8.32 confirms this, doesn't it? He who did not spare His own Son, but delivered Him up for us all. How shall He not with Him also freely give us all things? We know that our righteousness is as filthy rags, and we can add nothing to or offer nothing for our salvation. That truth remains true when it comes to walking worthy of our calling. Christ has made us righteous, but only by His righteousness. In the same way, because we are in Christ and have been given all things in Him, the Spirit makes us able to obey Christ, but only by the Spirit's power. So then each believer can be confident that God in Christ has made Him alive, chapter 2, verse 5, raised Him up, chapter 2, verse 6, made Him sit in heavenly places, chapter 2, verse 6, blessed Him with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places, chapter 1, verse 3, and He's called Him, Romans 8, 30. This is the basis of an individual believer living a life that is pleasing to God, walking by the power of the Spirit, relying on the fact that God has already given us all we need for life and godliness in Christ by His divine power. 
What a great salvation. What marvelous provision for living as a new creation in Christ. But there is more, more foundational context for our text today. We we'll to read a few verses. Ephesians 1, verse 18. That the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. Then verses 22 and 23. And he put all things under his feet and gave him to be head over all things to the church which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Chapter 3, verse 9 through 11. And to make all see what is the fellowship of the mystery, which from the beginning of the ages has been hidden in God, who created all things through Jesus Christ, to the intent that now the manifold wisdom of God might be made known by the church to the principalities and powers in the heavenly places, according to the eternal purpose which he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. And then verse 20 and 21 in that chapter. Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that works in us, to him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. That power that works in us the power of the indwelling Spirit of God is given to us for His glory. According to verse 31, I'm sorry, I think it, verse 21, for His glory in the church. Certainly God gets glory in the salvation of a believer. The glory of His grace is on display in the salvation of every believer. But the eternal purpose of God the Father is bigger than that. God has purposed that by the church, His manifold wisdom would be made known to the principalities and powers in the unseen realm. That in the church, Christ would receive glory to all generations forever and ever. You see, this is not an either or. This is not, He only gets glory one way. He certainly does get glory in our salvation, but I think He would want to make sure our, our vision is larger than that. Otherwise, we might either misunderstand some things or just not realize the importance of, of some of these instructions that regard the church and how we are to live together. I want to read a few more scriptures in chapter 2, verses 5 and 6. I'm going to stress some words, words that are there, but I want you to take note of how many times It's significant. This is not simply, not limited to a consideration of our individual salvation, as wonderful as that is. Even when we were dead in trespasses, He made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ. Chapter 4, verses 1 through 3. I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called, with all lowliness and gentleness, with long suffering, bearing with one another in love, 
endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. And then, uh, referencing Colossians 3.15, And let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to which also you were called in one body, and be thankful. Though, though we've probably expounded quite a bit over the last two or three years on our calling, I think it would be important to see that we are called in one body. There is individual calling, but we are called in one body. To what purpose? One is not called just for no purpose. And God always has a purpose. And when when we find him talking about uh, glory in the church, making known his manifold wisdom, looking back at Ephesians 3, verse 11, according to the eternal purpose which he accomplished in Christ Jesus. This is regarding the church, how he intends to get glory to himself through the church. That's us together. So then each believer can be confident that God in Christ has made us alive together with other believers, raised us up together with other believers, made us sit in heavenly places together with other believers, blessed us with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places together with other believers, called us to walk worthy of our calling, chapter 4, verse 1, together with other believers in one body, Colossians 3.15. This is the basis of an individual believer walking in a way that is worthy of his calling, his calling together with the body of Christ walking by the power of the Spirit with his fellow believers, relying on the fact that God has already given us all we need for life and godliness in Christ through his divine power. Relying on the power of the Holy Spirit, we can walk together with all lowliness and gentleness, with long-suffering, bearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. What a great calling! What marvelous provision for walking worthy of our calling together, speaking the truth in love, walking in the way that causes growth of the body, glorifying God in the church, and building up the saints, the inheritance of Christ. It is important that we see from the word that the local church is indeed the the context here even the testing ground for our obedience to the Lord's command to walk worthy of our calling. I, I don't want to obscure that there's not only the, the wonder, the praise, and glory to God for our individual salvation, and many scriptures that would refer to the church could certainly be applied in a, in a universal church sense. But as we look at the, to look at a basic division here of Ephesians is that the first three chapters are full of lofty truths. And then from chapter four on is the practical walking out of those, what they mean, the purpose. Why has God blessed us with every spiritual blessing? Why has he done all the things he has done? For his glory, yes, but, but in particular, 
what does he intend, how does he intend to get glory in the church? And if we look at just these few first few verses in chapter 4, isn't it clear that this can only be done in a local assembly? I'm not able to walk this way with Chinese believers. I, I appreciate them, but I don't know them, and they're asleep right now, probably. You see, it only applies right here. So let, let's not miss that, that when it comes to the rubber meeting the road, the walking out in order to glorify God here and now, together, we need to be alert for the details and, and pray that he would give us understanding that we might walk in his ways. Earlier when David was reading, uh, I had written down the wrong chapter there. I, I, I indeed intended him to read uh, verse 19 through 22 of chapter 2. I want to point out something that uh, this was uh, always curious to me for, for some time, but, but uh, just recent, within the last year, I just spent more time looking at it and noting that it seemed that when Paul got to uh, verse, chapter 3, verse 1, that he seemed to be going somewhere and then abruptly stopped and went somewhere else. We know that the Holy Spirit is guiding this process, the writing of Scripture. So let's go back and read these verses, starting at verse 19 of chapter 2. Now, therefore, you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom the whole building, being fitted together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are being built together for a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. Consider especially those last two verses. He's talking about something, talking about being built together, fitted together, for a purpose, to be a dwelling place of God. We find in other places that's going to be a glory to God. Both the, the things that he does to make that happen and what the finished product will be. And then chapter 3, verse 1. For this reason, okay, the, the reason he just talked about. For this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus for you Gentiles. And then suddenly he breaks off. And that almost as if that had jogged his mind in this other direction. However that happened, the Holy Spirit accomplished this and he continues on for the rest of chapter 3 with very significant uh, lofty truths, <laughs> to, to use the term again. In particular, verse 10 and 11, 9, 10, and 11 that we read before and uh, verse 20 and 21. We ought to pick up verse 19 too. To know the love of Christ which passes knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Didn't read that before. But these, those passages there in chapter 3 
are the ones that point, I believe more than any other, clearly, especially in this whole context of Ephesians, out of the whole Scripture, the New Testament, in regard to what God intends to do in, through, with the church. That's us together. He has big plans. May you help us understand them and walk in it. That is clearly his desire. So, so then, notice in verse 1 of chapter 4, he picks up with almost identical language. Okay, he, he went through chapter 3 and ends with forever and ever. Amen. And then gets back to what he was saying. So I want you to connect what he said, especially in the last two verses of chapter 2, to what he then picks up on chapter 4. In whom the whole building being fitted together grows into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are being built together for a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you have called. What calling was that? The calling to be built together as a dwelling place of God. It's one expression of our calling, together. How are we to walk that out? With all lowliness and gentleness, with long-suffering, bearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. I want you to carefully connect those verses with the thought of being built together, as a dwelling place of God, a building, and being fitted together. Because when we turn over and look at our text for today, verse 15 and 16, but speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and knit together by whatever joint supplies, according to the effective working which every part does its share, causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. I still remember when uh, Kalen, uh, two or three weeks ago, maybe four or five, I might have lost track, but he was, he mentioned, uh, he was expounding a little bit on the word edify, what it meant, just to build up. But this is what we're talking about. Uh, This is what Paul is talking about. It's the same thing as what he was talking about in verse 21 and 22 of chapter 2. You see it's that same subject. Verse 15 and 16 then is talking about our calling to be able to glorify God together. So, (laughs) why did I go through all that? Necessarily to connect speaking the truth in love with our calling and God's glory. It's not an option. God's glory can't be regarded like, as an option for us, can it? This is actually getting to the nitty-gritty of how we function together, and specifically, not just how we function and do whatever, but how we grow I believe speaking the truth in love has different ways we could maybe categorize it, uh, the, the working out of it, but 
I picked two, basically. For, of course, we could say right here it's connected to growth. Yes. Uh, so maybe that's more general. But thinking in terms of some of the more difficult issues that might arrive in the context of speaking the truth in love to one another. Either restoration or for the sake of purity in Christ's body. Not that it would, we would choose either or, but different situations would require us to be concerned about, more concerned about one of those or the other. In other words, we'll always to be concerned about purity in the body of Christ because the Lord is very concerned about purity, is he not? The church for which he died in chapter 5, picking up in the middle, Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word, that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. Yes, the Lord Jesus Christ is very concerned about purity. Therefore, we need to be. We need to follow his lead, follow his instruction. Again, we need to walk in the spirit. We, this is not something we just, we see a command, any old command in scripture and just say, okay, I'll do that. Without regard to the context, and what it means, let alone that you would be walking in the Spirit where you could sense His leading in something and having checked it against the Word, tested the spirits. Abhor what is evil, cling to what is good. That's our responsibility to test through the Word. But, but we need to be prepared to walk this out. It is necessary for growth in the body. <clears throat> I'm going to reference some scriptures that, that uh, point to various aspects of speaking the truth in love. Ones that are fairly familiar. Two that sound very similar, both in Hebrews. In chapter 10, uh, verse 24 is the one we're familiar with, but I'm going to read 22 through 25. Let us draw near with a true heart, full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Kind of sounds like chapter 5 a little bit, doesn't it, of Ephesians? Being washed with pure water. There's also a concern for conscience. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works. Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. So, exhorting one another, but notice it says, let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works. It reminds me of some things I... I, I didn't. I wasn't able to listen to the whole message, but I, I got a, a, a raw copy of Steve's message last week because we were out of town, and listened to the first part of it, and, and uh, was really encouraged and challenged with that. 
So often as I was going through this, I was going back in my mind to the, the verses in Philippians 2. There's a very strong connection here. Being concerned not just with our own interests, but the interests of others. That is, That must be there if we are to speak the truth in love to one another, walking in the Spirit. There's got to be the element of of uh, concern primarily for glory for God. We're to love Him supremely. First and great commandment. But the second is loving our neighbors ourselves. How much more than the household of God? Are we to be concerned, loving others? Not just in theory, but thinking of them. Being concerned for their interests. And that's going to be hard to do if we forsake assembling of ourselves together. We're to actually exhort one another. And so much the more as you see the day approaching. We're going to find that in Hebrews chapter 3, verses 12 and 14, that it adds the word daily. And also some other concerns. Beware, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. But exhort one another daily while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. For we have become partakers of Christ if we hold the the beginning of our confidence steadfast to the end. (coughs) This this concept of uh, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin, this is very important in a concerted, being concerned for uh, our passage, the command. It, it, it is a command. It doesn't read like that. But consider the connection we made earlier that this is for the glory of God and this is how we grow together as a church. It's not an option. It must not be regarded as an option. And one of the elements then is being aware of the truth that sin is deceitful and as such, and since we all have the connection to that, right? We all stumble in many ways. We're capable of stumbling hard. But, we're, but the implication seems to be that quite often, at least in you know, smaller ways that we just miss, got blind sides, that we're stepping on toes. But sin is deceitful, and we can be hardened. That There's a step-by-step, the incremental thought there, being hardened. It's not like all at once. And if you have a blind side, so to speak, what's that mean? You don't see it. What happens if in some little way you kind of head off the wrong path? I think it's been the point's been made before that you know if, you, if this is the true direction, the goal, and you just get off a little bit, well, that's not very much, you know, quarter inch. What's it like on the other side of the room? By the time it gets to the other side of the room, you're off 
if step by step you're being hardened, you're, you're going like this, farther and farther, out, away from the direction, faster and faster getting off to the side. This can happen, can it not? Sin is deceitful. If you've got a blind spot, what then? Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verse 9 through 12. Two are better than one because they have a good reward for their labor. For if they fall, one will lift up his companion. But woe to him who is alone when he falls. For he has no one to help him up. Should it be so? In the church. Again, if two lie down together, they will keep warm. But how can one be warm alone? And then, though one may be overpowered by another, two can withstand him. We do have enemies, you know. We have adversaries. And a threefold cord is not quickly broken. Two is better. Three is better yet. How about a hundred? Watching out for one another's interests. Isn't this what we're talking about here? Isn't this what the scriptures are talking about? Without that, we fall. And the implication is that without that sort of normal process, I, I, I want to say this a little, a little bit more. We really are talking about a normal process in the church. I'm not saying it is functioning normally today here or you know somewhere else. I, what I am saying is, this is what ought to be happening. This should be normal and not be regarded as, ooh, how do we do this? This is normal. This is necessary for our growth. The implication is that if this is not happening, we're not growing much at all. And probably for certain not growing up together. Are we to be only concerned for our own spiritual growth? I mean, we want to grow spiritually, right? We, we study, we pray. Read scriptures, we, we memorize, we hide the word in our heart. Is that the Lord's will that we do that? Well, sure. But is that the extent of his will? No. A normal part of our everyday existence here on this earth as a member of his body is to be thinking of others and looking out for them. Speaking the truth in love can be in other forms besides just speaking. But we must be willing to speak. And that is the primary way that we edify one another. Sometimes not speaking might be a loving conveying of truth. Uh, it could be other forms. If you think of in terms of looking out for one another and being prepared to take action, 
I'm just saying that it doesn't every time have to take the exact form of a of a word. But for the rest of this teaching here, I, I'm going to continue to use the words that are in the scriptures of speaking the truth in love. Just understand, I'm not trying to limit to that. <clears throat> There is a <clears throat> there's a wide spectrum. It, it's a continuum. It's, there's not just simple, easy does it categories. It's a wide spectrum. Actually, until you kind of get to the to a far end, because if we get to a far end in terms of purity in the body of Christ, then it's time for action. Remember when in, in Corinthian letters, First Corinthians, Paul really jumps their case. He finds out that they've had a major uh, sexual sin, just a, a total embarrassment, dragging the name of the Lord in, in the mud. To the, he even calls it out as not even named among the Gentiles. So horrible. And, and he really gets on it. Gets on it fast and says, This ought to have already been taken care of. I'm taking care of it now. The next time you gather, this is what's going to happen. I'm just putting this out here as on a spectrum of things. That's way out there. It's awful, it has to be dealt with immediately. Okay? So let's just call that for now a far limit that way. What's on the other side? How are you doing, brother? Based, maybe based on a conversation you had previously, by a day or a week, you know, asking particular questions. Maybe you look at somebody and you just notice a countenance that's a little fallen. Check them. Speak the truth in love. That doesn't speak the truth in love. That, that does not need to be regarded as shouldn't be a normal thing, normal daily thing, as as a, you know nailing somebody. <laughs> that's that's not the context here. That's not the point of it. It may need to be that take that form when it's called for. But what happens is that if we don't take care of normal business then you end up with those things, more so. You know, it gets put off, and then it gets worse. It's the deceitfulness of sin. The scriptures are calling us as a normal, everyday thing to speak the truth in love that we may grow up in all things into him who is the head. I hope that helps to picture in the middle are just some typical situations we could just kind of make up scenarios would be one I referred to that uh, somebody that maybe you become aware that they've, they've stumbled in some way. Galatians 6, 1 and 2 tells us what to do about that. Brethren, if a man is overtaken in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore 
restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness. Isn't that one of the aspects of walking worthy of the calling with which you were called? This is so integral. We sometimes think of the calling with which you were called as some glory way. I mean, it is glory. It's glory to God. But it really takes the form of some very simple daily things in order that we may grow together because that's how God is glorified. That's how he's intended to glorify himself in the church. So restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, considering yourself lest you also be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Think Philippians 2 again being concerned, and bearing one another's burdens. What about the love aspect of speaking the truth in love? What standard is there? Is there a standard there? There's, there's not a lot of elaboration there. But here's something to consider that I believe fits into the general concept here of being alert, aware of others' needs, and being concerned and ready to help somebody who's weak, help them bear a load. Ecclesiastes 4. But also James 2, verse 14 through 17. What does it profit, my brethren, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can faith save him? If a brother or sister is naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you says to them, Depart in peace, be warm and filled, but you do not give them the things which, they, which are needed for the body, what does it profit? Thus also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. Would that have application here? This example is seeing a need of clothing and letting them go and buy. Couldn't we do the same thing with a need that we, we sense or at least we maybe just receive a prompt from the Holy Spirit to speak? If you do, speak. Speak the truth in love. We're told how with kindness, gentleness, lowliness of mind, ready to bear with one another, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. It's, it's not a precisely known thing. You can't just have a little black book and, and you know, look up something. You know, should I speak or not speak? You know, let me look it up. No. Uh, <laughs> Christian life is not like that, is it? It's not supposed to be. That would be relying on our own strength, which is bad news. That's a guarantee failure because everything that we are to do in Christ, we are to do in the power of the Spirit of Christ. Everything. Uh, another scripture that while we're in this general thought, uh, this is one that there can be some disagreement on, I'm sure. 
point is not to bring up disagreement, but to but to show that it, it however you might look at it, this applies to this subject. And this is First John five. <clears throat> I'm going to read the, the, the whole context here of verse, verse fourteen through seventeen. Now this is the confidence that we have in Him that if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. And if we know that He hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we have asked of Him. If anyone sees his brother sinning a sin which does not lead to death, he will ask and he will give him life for those who commit sin not leading to death. There is sin leading to death. I do not say he should pray about that. All unrighteousness is sin and there is sin not leading to death. Without trying to go uh, so deep as to... uh, provide opportunity for disagreement. And I don't know, maybe I should, I'm not, I don't need to worry about this. But it is clear that there are degrees. There's a distinction here of degree. And that in this case, John is suggesting that if you see a brother sinning a sin which does not lead to death, to ask, ask the Lord to give him life. Here's an example of one that's way out this way. No confrontation even. But, but it's an expression of concern. I'm not wanting to create a loophole. That's not the point. <laughs> we need to be speaking the truth in love. Actually speaking. But here, the Scripture does seem to indicate that there's a situation where you speak to the Lord. And are you asking according to his will? You see a brother in need? Just, you know, a small misstep, a little blindside? You ask the Lord to help him. Be prepared to go further if he stumbles further. But I'm just pointing this out that you don't necessarily have to get in somebody's face at every moment. But be concerned in every case and ask the Lord what should you do and be prepared to obey him. Now, those are some examples of what we could do. There's, there's a glaring example in Scripture. Of, well, there are many actually, but a, a verse that actually describes it of what not to do. Galatians 5, verse 13 to 15. For you, brethren, have been called to liberty... Only do not use liberty as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love, serve one another. That's to be our attitude here. Out of love, serving one another. For all the law is fulfilled in one word, even this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. But here's the warning. But if you bite and devour one another, beware lest you be consumed by one another. Of course, it is possible to to carry this to the extreme in the flesh and you'd end up just biting and devouring one another. We don't want to do that. But do not let fear and imagination keep you from walking. Spirit, don't walk in the flesh. Obey His command in the Spirit. This is by the power of the Spirit. Trusting in Him to guide you and and purposely thinking and caring for one another, putting their interests above yours.
in, in a lot of ways, this is kind of a heavy subject, and I, I'm about to introduce at least a little bit of levity. Uh, not for the pers- pur- purpose of levity, uh, that's not what I'm saying, but I made some visual aids, and you'll see that's where the levity comes in. <laughs> but the point is, it really is, I, I hope you let this sink in as a further visual aid. Let it get in your head. Some, some basic points here on speaking the truth in love. We can learn something very important about speaking the truth in love that hasn't been touched on yet, but we're about to. We're getting there. By looking at an example of gossip, which, of course, is not speaking the truth in love. But I recalled a, a little picture that came with an article. It was an excellent article, an excellent picture. And I scrounged around uh, so that I wouldn't have to draw something and found this on the Internet. It's crude resolution, but I think maybe you can see it anyway. <clears throat> Can you see that all right back there? Mike, you can hear way back here. It's uh, a guy with a big mouth. Hey, that's, that's going to be the uh, first step of gossip, right? Now, if this guy is blabbing, interesting note, too, that isn't it? It's a guy. Right? It's not limited. Just take note of that one. I won't say it anymore. <laughs> but I said it once. What happens if this guy blabs? <clears throat> In regard to gossip. There's no gossip. He can blab all he wants. Unless you or I are listening to him. When these guys get together, now you have gossip. Hopefully that gets in there and doesn't get away in your mind. Takes a mouth and an ear. So, might occasionally pop this one up to you know, blow up, just to remind. <clears throat> and I'll show you, here's a little typical example of how that happens. You can see how creative I was to reuse things. This was my starting point. So, stand around the water cooler, coffee cup in hand. Not just talking about your sports scores. Gossip takes both a mouth and an ear. But so does speaking the truth in love. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. 
might we also draw from this text, he who has an ear, let him hear what his brother is saying to him. If the only thing that happens is somebody's talking and nobody's listening, then speaking the truth in love as the scriptures intend and certainly the outcome of growth in the body is not happening. So, my last little uh, modified thing here. It takes both. From a heart of love, both sides. Without the heart, if, if what's coming out the mouth, remember that what comes out our mouth is what's in our heart, we've got to have a heart of love or it's not going to be pretty. We need to listen from the heart too. Or it's a wide open door opportunity for hard feelings or whatever could, could, it could move toward. We'll not need to move toward that if we have the heart of love. So I want to read some scriptures to maybe just uh, <clears throat> it's probably a simple enough concept I don't need to back it up, do I? But <laughs> I want to look at some scriptures that really do uh, in an interesting way. In, in Luke chapter 8, verse 16 through 18, <clears throat> it's a, it hit me odd at first, the, the combination of verses compared to what you get out of Matthew, but just read it and think. No one, when he has lit a lamp, covers it with a vessel and puts it under a bed, but sets on a lampstand, that those who enter may see the light. For nothing is secret that will not be revealed, nor anything hidden that will not be known. And come to light. Therefore, take heed how you hear. First time I read that, I just, well, where did that come from? <laughs> I, I couldn't put those two together. Therefore, take heed how you hear. For whoever has, to him more will be given. And whoever does not have, even what he seems to have, will be taken from him. And that reminded me of the parable of the minas. Remember that in Luke 19, where the one is unfaithful, hides, is not even doing the basics of reasonable, minimum obedience to the master, faithfulness to him. The mind is taken from him and given it to the one with ten, with surprise from the bystanders. Take heed how you hear. If you're not hearing right, you're probably in line with the one with the one mina in the ground. And woe to you if you're alone. We need to be helping one another avoid getting into that situation. 
we really need to be careful and, and with a thought of light. In Luke 11, verse 33 to 36, no one, uh, when he is a similar kind of passage, but it goes further about the light. No one, when he lit a lamp, puts it in a secret place or under a basket, but on a lampstand that those who come in may see the light. Starting out the same way as the other one. The lamp of the body is the eye. Therefore, when your eye is good, your whole body is also full of light. But when your eye is bad, your body is also full of darkness. <clears throat> Be watchful for dark countenances and care early. Wouldn't this be a, an instruction that we could draw out that, from this text today? Ephesians 4, 15, and 16. Therefore, take heed. I might connect this to Hebrews 10, 24, 25, and Hebrews 3, those verses there about exhorting one another daily, being aware of the deceitfulness of sin. Take heed that the light which is in you is not darkness. Then if your whole body is full of light, having no part dark, the whole body will be full of light as when the bright shining of a lamp gives you light. Can we also apply this principle of light to us together? Interesting is that it has the concept of a lamp stand, which is connected to the church, Revelation, the body. I do believe this has much application to the church, the body of Christ. You need to take heed. If if one area of the body is malfunctioning, <coughs> other areas are put in danger. And I want to bring out this one thought that uh, uh, my sons brought this up. And as we talked about a little bit, it was amazing that the, the things that, that we could uh, learn from it. <clears throat> In the case of paralysis, you have individual cells of the body that are alive. They're maintaining themselves. You have blood supply, normal blood supply circulating. See someone sitting in a chair, looks normal. But what if there's no connection to the head? Or what if there is a break in nerves? Cells are still maintained, still functioning. But the body can't move. I believe this could be just not, not certainly not a proof text, <coughs> not a text, but it's confirmation and, and provokes some thought that I think could lead us to to be careful to distinguish between being there and being healthy, showing up and being a healthy functioning part of the body of Christ. We're not called to show up anywhere. We're called to function. We're called to add strength. We need to go back to Ephesians 4, our text.
speaking the truth in love, that we may grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ, from whom the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies. It said every joint. According to the effective working by which every part does its share. This is necessary for the growth of the body. This is what causes the growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. It's interesting, isn't it, that it was to the Ephesians that Paul said, speak the truth in love. And he prayed in the first chapter, also in the third, that, that they would be able to comprehend the width, length, depth, height, to know the love of Christ, which passes knowledge. And then we find him writing a letter to Christ, writing a letter to the church in Revelation 2. They lost their first love. Isn't it quite likely that if they lost their first love, their love for God, that they weren't doing too well in terms of loving one another? If you don't love one another, you will not be speaking the truth in love. Because it goes against our very nature. And even more so <clears throat> in our culture. There are countries and situations all around the world and they all have different cultures. Some are closer knit. Some are more you know, family oriented and, and uh, Altogether, we tend to be spread out. But it's more than that. It, countrywide, there's, there's an individualistic culture that is developed and grown. We're quite comfortable, generally. Isn't it true that we're, we quite easily withdraw? It's, it doesn't bother us greatly if we don't see one another much. not wanting to put words in your mouth or in your heart, but consider how easily we get in our little daily routines without much regard for concern for one another. We learn from a very early age to think in terms of what we personally like. Isn't that what we grow up, we, we grow up knowing? Imagine a mother speaking to her little Johnny. Johnny, would you like a ball? What color would you want? Do you want the red ball or do you want the blue ball? Can mommy have the red ball back? Uh. Give the red ball back to mommy. Uh. I just made this up, but isn't it pretty typical? From a very early age, we, we feed, sometimes bombard our children with lots of choices. And we are training them to decide what they want and to just keep feeding the self-centeredness. Our culture is especially susceptible and has developed more advanced culture, don't you know, in this regard. Johnny grows up. Johnny, would you like a cool treat? 
What are we telling? You know, what flavor of popsicle would you like? Or do you want a chocolate-covered ice cream sandwich instead? Johnny says, I'd rather have an orange cream ice cream bar. <clears throat> of course, I'd say, <clears throat> good choice. That's, that's my favorite. <clears throat> so how about um, going to the supermarket for a can of green beans? I, this may seem a little silly, but I want you to consider how much we're bombarded with this and how much we're used to it. What brand would you like? Del Monte, Green Giant, Libby's, Fresh Like, or one of several other brands, or one of dozens of private labels. Now what cut do you want? Fresh cut, French cut, Italian cut, diced, kitchen sliced, or whole? Okay, what about salt? You could have no salt, low salt, half salt, or full salt. And if you're health savvy, you can choose Celtic salt or sea salt as an alternative to your basic table salt. Not to mention there's other specialty seasonings. All for a can of green beans. Or you could even go to Sam's or Costco's and upsize it. What is this accomplishing in us? I'm not saying we don't stop buying green beans or deciding <coughs> which one. But be aware of how we have been little by little. Maybe there's some deceitfulness or sin involved here. Little by little, we just get used to being self-serving. You know, Johnny is helped to practice self-gratification. What kind of fruit is that going to bear in, in Johnny's life? Do our children learn contentment toward God or complaining? Even if we as parents are just harmlessly shopping for green beans, are patterns being established? Why did I pick green beans? I don't know why I picked green beans. I, but it's an illustration that there's probably dozens, and maybe there's dozens of ways in which we just kind of coax toward being our own self and thinking. It's going to take some effort to consider others better than ourselves and be more concerned for others' interests. Not just being concerned for our own, being concerned of others' interests. Spiritual concerns. Things that matter. Things of eternal value. Who cares about green beans? As I went down this road, there was one that <clears throat> I got pushed a little farther, I think. By the Lord, you can decide. But I was thinking, and we... We check for which retailer or wholesaler has the brand, cut, seasoning, and size we prefer, and hopefully on sale. Do we possibly carry the same thought pattern and actions, unaware, into how we think of our lives together as believers in one church body? And I wonder, on what basis do we choose a church? Whose choice should it be? What does the Bible say? But now God has set the members, each one of them, in the body just as he pleased. And that's what the Bible says. Obviously, a church's commitment to sound doctrine and practice will impact a conscience-bound decision. It ought to. 
How is the construction of a holy temple, referring to to the verses we've read today, how does the construction of a holy temple being built for God's dwelling place, is it affected if living stones, remember the scripture in 1 Peter, where it's living stones being built together? If living stones, they be living, jump out of the mortar because of preferences or selfish reasons, and what is the mortar in this building? Could it be love? I think so. What holds us together in one body according to the word of God? God's plan is for members of the body to be joined and knit together by which every, that which every joint supplies. God has given us each a gift of his grace to minister to others in the body. And these differ. But love must be supplied by every member to the other members of the body. How can we love God if we do not love our brother? We need to go back and check Romans 14. We studied this months ago. We need to wisely discern between the necessary and the preferential based on the teaching of the Word of God. I trust that the Lord has enabled me to speak the truth in love. It's certainly the most difficult thing I can recall having to say. Right? But I have some final thoughts then. Some of it, some further application. I didn't recall just having scriptures to read on this, but uh, I do. So I'll need to look at them and see what they say. Amos 1, verse 2a. The Lord roars from Zion. And then in chapter 6, 1. Woe to you who are at ease in Zion and trust in Mount Samaria, notable persons in the chief nation to whom the house of Israel comes. In verse 4 through 6. Who lie on beds of ivory, <clears throat> stretch out on your couches, eat lambs from the flock and calves from the midst of the stall, who sing idly to the sound of stringed instruments and invent for yourselves musical instruments like David, who drink wine from bowls and anoint yourselves with the best of ointments, but are not grieved. For the affliction of Joseph. I think maybe there might be some reasons to be grieved this speaking of Israel, but I think we can see that this is application to the church. In Malachi 3.8, God said to Israel, Will a man rob God? Went on to you know, have the imaginary back and forth conversation and God talks about tithes and offerings. I had a, a different thought in terms of Answering that question, if the Lord was to ask it to us, 
Will the Lord one day say to us, is it possible? Inasmuch as you did not do it to one of the least of my brethren, you did not do it to me. I'm honest with you when I say that some of this hits me so hard I can hardly keep going. The grace he has given and continues to freely give us every day is not only for our individual benefit and growth, but also for the building up of the body of Christ, the brethren and the local assembly in which he has placed us. I guess you have to determine. Has he placed you? Have you given him the choice? Do you see it that way? I think that's going to be a necessary element. It will probably determine an awful lot of whether you speak the truth in love to your brother. It's to be for his glory and the glory of his inheritance in the saints. 1 Peter 4.10 confirms this. As each one has received a gift, employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Whoever speaks is to do so as one speaking the oracles of God. Whoever serves is to do so as one who is serving by the strength which God supplies. The power of the Spirit, not our own strength, not our own talents, not our own wills. So that in all things, God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belongs glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. God has not given us ears to be tickled, but to hear. To hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To hear His truth through all the means of His grace in our lives. Which includes those living stones tightly fitted next to us and the holy temple being built for His dwelling place. Ephesians 4, 15-16. Understood in the surrounding context and the whole letter teaches us that those brothers and sisters in Christ have been placed there by God as channels of His grace, supplying strength and cohesion and growth of the body. It also teaches us that each of us, every part properly functioning, needs to speak the truth in love through the various graces given us by God for the purpose of supplying strength and cohesion and growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. As we speak and hear, bear with me for one more go at this. Remember, it takes both from the heart. As we speak and hear the truth, from hearts of love born of the Spirit. God will give the increase and Christ and Christ will have the prize for which he died. An inheritance of nations. A glorious church. Pure and spotless. A holy bride suitable for him for eternity. May it be so and soon and may the eyes of your understanding be enlightened that you may know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, and what is exceeding, the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe 
according to the working of his mighty power. Amen.